Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues held in Melbourne, Australia in November of 2019. It's called The Me Project. You may also want to check out our five-day retreat in New Zealand in April 2020 and our 10-day retreat in Italy starting in late October 2020. I often speak about something I call coexisting awareness, and there's lots of types of coexisting awareness. For instance, you can be driving in your car and listening to the radio, singing along with the songs while driving your car, making all the right turns and putting your signal on or your wipers if you need to. So here's an, that's an example of a coexisting awareness. But another type of coexisting awareness is an awareness of the sort of functioning level of getting around and getting by and doing things in the day, and an awareness of the beingness that underlies the functioning level. So there's also the operation of the personality, that's in a way the part of the functioning level of the, of the day. You relate to people, you show up, you speak your words, you, you have a personality. But then deeper, on the beingness level, <coughs> there really is no personality, right? It's just, you know, the moment when you wake up in the morning and you just wake up and for a moment, Maybe it's just a a blink. You don't know your name. You don't know know anything. (laughs) You don't know anything about your to-do list, right? You wake up into just being. Now that, that fundamental experience is actually very precious, just being. It's very restful, isn't it? It's a lot of what happens for us when we, when we're just, there's no real program, there's no agenda, there's no big story running, right? And it's the kind of thing that many people remember as these uh, glorious moments, these sort of awakened moments of their lives. They might be present at, the, at, a, at a birth or a death or they might have seen something so beautiful in nature, right? The northern lights or whatever, such that it stops the, the predominance of the, of the functionality program and the personality program, and it throws you into the purity of beingness. Now I'm proposing, and I have a feeling most of you already know this, that you can actually start to use your own attention to basically be in this stream of beingness much more frequently, much more predominantly. Because let's face it, in our sped-up world of doing and having and getting and con- and and accomplishing and figuring out and all the little bites of information that we're under we're under a deluge of each day we can overlook beingness it's kind of lost in the jumble and you kind of you know you kind of get through another day and kind of crash out at night where the system has to go to a shutdown Right? Has to just shut itself down for eight hours, (laughs) if we're lucky, and start up again, rev up again. Some friends of mine were telling me, friends who are in California, who um, you probably know in recent weeks, there have been these massive fires and the big electric company actually 
turned off the electricity for about a million people because of the danger of the fire lines, of the electric lines and the fire risk that they pose. <clears throat> so a few of my friends have been commenting how nice it is <laughs> that not only do they not have electricity, but lots of their people don't have electricity. So when everybody doesn't have electricity, then no one expects to hear from you and you don't expect to hear from them and you don't have to be on the clock every second of the day making sure your email is caught up and your text messages are caught up and your Facebook is caught up and your whatever, all your various means of <clears throat> connectivity are all up to date. Um, they're living like people lived a long time ago. Now, they only got to do it for four days. The electricity was off for four days. But, but as several of my friends, they were very lucky. They weren't in the situation. They were just in the area where they didn't have electricity. They weren't in the fire zones. Those, those people are not so lucky. But um, the point being that it takes almost an act of will, whether on our own parts or by, on the part of nature or the electric company, to unplug and to just step aside and to just be, to really value that, to really honor that, to really let yourself have that. And it informs everything you do. It informs your work. It informs how you show up with other people. It informs your way of being kind. It informs your clarity of mind. I spoke the other day about how it actually makes you so much more efficient. Everything you do, you there's a kind of elegant simplicity. You can just with a clarity of mind, you can see the easiest path through whatever you're doing. You let go more easily. When you see that something is going, you let go. <laughs> and sometimes you see that it needs to go though it may still be a loss, you realize it needs to change. So you bow. All of this comes very organically with being much more simple in, in your own innocence, in your own presence. Because a lot of the jumble and a lot of the activity is in a weird homage to a presentation of the self. You want to, you want to um, matter. <laughs> we find all kinds of ways for that to be experienced. Some people want to matter by having lots of money fancy things or a position or name and fame or well fill in the blank this is very unique to each so it's this me project that most people are engaged with they're building the me it's a lot of work, a lot of activity, a lot of mental stress. And again, turning to this simplicity of being, you are content a lot with very little you find yourself feeling very grateful. It's 
I was talking to one of my friends just a little while ago on the phone. He called me. He's a farmer near Armadale where there's terrible drought. And his farm was down to a day's water before he hooked up this other thing on a nearby property that he has to get water. But he was down to a day, a day's worth of water for his food, for his farm, which has lots of animals and lots of gardens of food. Um, And I could feel, though he's not very, um, my friend is not very dramatic or he's quite understated, um, but I could feel the relief in his voice. I could hear it. Right, something as basic as water. It was it was ironic somehow because as he was telling me this, it was literally pouring here. <laughs> I mean, just rocketing down. You know, I was very aware of this moment that we were sharing. Right, I felt a kind of enhanced presence in it. I felt the beingness in it and the natural empathy that I was experiencing that was very, very connected. So, yeah, I speak about these same things a lot, that in this presence comes gratitude, comes clear seeing, comes clear understanding of the preciousness of all of this doesn't take things for granted because it knows, the awareness knows the impermanence of things. That's not hidden. That's obvious. But we forget, especially when we're just in this swirl of constant presentation. We're like in a trance. So we come to a situation like this where it's, it's a signaling to your system to just stop and be, but it's also a signaling for you to wake up out of a type of trance. It's just constant thrusting forward, and this is just resting in beingness. In the presence and just letting it be. Thinking about that, I've been thinking the last couple of days, so I was having a conversation with a friend, I was having lunch with a friend yesterday, and we were talking about trauma, you know, and about past trauma, specifically child, things that have happened to you as, as a child that that keep repeating not just patterns, but they they inform a certain pain, right? Or, 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 or a certain belief that's however it, it shows up. Past trauma, whether it be, you know, growing up or experiences, whatever. And in the letting it be, as is, letting it go, open palm, Sometimes you act, we were talking about the need for not remembering in order to reignite the last, the old pain, and to, but to re-examine something and maybe move it along or something, whether mm-hmm. it's with therapy or with, you know, mm-hmm. tapping or whatever people do. Um to actually go back and revisit this, the pain, um, without reigniting it and having to relive through the trauma or anything like that, which is kind of, but then doing it with awareness, right? Not sure what my question is, but the question has something to do with there is there is there are two sides of this. There's two hands of this, and there's there's doing it with a great deal of balance. 
so that you don't lose the awareness of the now, but then you do actually have to trigger in the past. And I know Eckhart Tolle calls it like the pain body, how yes. to deal with a pain body. And I haven't looked into that. I just know that that's the term. Yes. So just it's it's a really interesting subject and we were talking about something in specifically so what do you have to say about that <laughs> yeah well um of course there's a place for a sort of therapeutic investigation if needed and only to the point that it's it's needed and complete <laughs> um i think sometimes people fall into a kind of habituation of kind of going over and over their story. And they just get, they're basically living their present life in a story of what happened in the past. Um, so I would say that's not so helpful or useful or wise. But if there are patterns that are, that are as you say, for, informing the life now, and are perhaps re-triggering other kinds of pain, the pain body, or causing messes in your relationships that are similar every time, you know, and this is a clue, of course, if a certain thing keeps happening with different people, the same thing happening that's problematic, and you're the only consistent variable in the situation, <laughs> then, of course, one has to look at the patterns that, that are, that are being, being played out. <clears throat> so that's very useful uh, to do. And usually it's suffering that will inspire you to look at it. I mean, it, you have to start with a certain ground of general awareness before you'll even be interested in being introspective. A lot of people just never are. Their, their patterns and their conditioning is such, so strong, or their opportunities of interest, introspection are just not there, um, that they just go through the whole of the life in highly conditioned ways. Um, but for some people, they're naturally introspective, and other people who might not necessarily be introspective, but they have tremendous opportunity, and it knocks on their door, and they answer it. Um, and, yeah, um, it's, it's quite helpful to a point. But beyond that point, it actually is not only not helpful, it, it becomes counterproductive to constantly be thinking about your story and how does it, what does it mean and kind of going over a little minutia of he said that and I said that and then we did that and what did I think of that? How did I feel? And, you know, I grew up in a time of lots of those kinds of encounter groups and therapeutic things. It never was that attractive for me. I was always in some silent meditation retreat, but because I lived in this world of that was happening in my culture, in my counterculture also, um, I was privy to all the goings-on of those things, and lots of my friends were in formal therapy for years and years and years, and it was a big part of our uh, of our culture and of our conversation. Um, but I did notice that I, I felt some of my friends were sort of addicted to constantly thinking about the me story. And I think sometimes therapy can, can instigate more of the thinking of the me story than is really healthy. And unfortunately for the therapist, I mean, I've known so many therapists, so many therapists have come to Dharma Dialogues over the years, you know. And one of the things they come, they come they con they're confronted with is they'll start to realize they need to set their clients free. They will see that, that they've come to the end of the therapy, but then that puts them out of the work and the income from that person and, who, and also who they would have developed a great affection for. So they've enjoyed it themselves. So it takes a kind of high-integrity person 
to keep making themselves redundant in their own job. <laughs> and that's why transpersonal psychotherapy became so popular. That then moved people into having a therapeutic context that then became more focused on transpersonal work, meaning more beingness kind of interaction and engagement and setting free the story much more quickly. Um, but finally, even that, after a point, you can't just be talking about that over and over again either, you know. So um, I've definitely met a lot of therapists who actually quit being therapists or who had to really change the way that they were doing what they were doing that after a point they couldn't really do talk therapy and story therapy. They could do it until it was, until it was not needed. Um, so we, in our own case, we look at that, you know, we, we know. And I even, I even know when I've like played out a story even either in my mind or in processing with friends, I can hear when it's like I'm just going over the same ground. <laughs> I've already mined it for every last mineral in it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, yeah. And all of that that I just spoke about falls under the category of coexisting awareness, whereby on the functional, therapeutic, psychological level, there's a, there's a story happening, there's, there's activity. And on the underneath, what streams be beyond and below and through is just this beingness that is more and more aware. I recommend hanging out where you really do see all of this as a tempest in a teacup, as one of your people there said, <laughs> from your homeland, <laughs> and that you um, you don't have to strain so much about figuring it all out, you know. You let things slide. You don't strive for perfection or fix your personality or only if it's causing a problem. One of the things that's very touching to me is how earnest we all are. Like we want to be good and we want to be better <laughs> you know um, there's something very dear about that you know it's very touching and very you know like the human spirit tries to just rise in all its ways you know um, and in the spiritual world that's very common you know people want to be they want to make it. They want to make it to some level. Back in our Buddhist days, long ago, in my early practice days, this meme went through among our teachers, who I look back now and realize they were just these young Westerners, barely, barely older than their students. And anyway, we thought they were the bee's knees. And... Um, but somehow or other, they, they, they put out this meme that if you, if you could be mindful for 24 hours, you would become enlightened. <laughs> so there were, I never attempted it, of course, but there were more earnest people than I around the scene. And so there were people at our, we'd have these long meditation courses, silent meditation courses in you know, freezing Massachusetts. They would go on for months. <laughs> and you'd see people in the hall sitting on their cushion hour after hour after hour, but they'd be asleep while sitting. They'd be, <laughs> they'd be like this the whole time. 
trying so hard to be to hit the 24-hour mark. <laughs> no one did, of course. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so we didn't get to test the theory. Of course, I don't believe in any of that anyway, but, but it, it just goes to all the ways we, the endeavors of, of climbing our mountains, you know. And Do you believe that some people don't want to be better? Um, if people say that, they, no, I think it's a maybe it's a truism, and I hear what you say. Mm. I, um, I'm just wondering. I'm I reflecting don't, on. I that. don't want to be better. <laughs> <laughs> because you've achieved it, or not at all? No, 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 not at all. No, because I accept exactly how I am. I'm not. I'm not on a project about myself anymore, and haven't been for a very, very long time. Um, I I stopped seeking. You could say in the early 90s, after 17 years of meditation practice, I met a teacher who basically said, call off the search. And, um, and, and it wasn't that I stopped seeking because I found. It was because I saw the futility of seeking. So seeking is another way of saying to be on an improvement project, to be on an, a betterment project. Um, so what I propose is that it's in the deep acceptance of yourself as you are, the profound acceptance that basically says, you know, I didn't grow this, actually. <laughs> I'm not really doing it. You're not, you're not growing your hair. You're not making your heart beat. You're not making your autonomic nervous system work. And you're not even thinking your thoughts the thoughts are rolling through. So it's all a very, it's a program that's here in space operating fully. And the only little wiggle room you really have, and that's also debated, as we know that even that's debated, whether there's free will or not, whether there's any, any control of this or not. But I always say, if choice arises, choose freedom, choose love, choose to direct your attention in an intelligent way. So you have, you have this little tiny rudder on your big ship of conditioning and of genetics and all of that to move your attention around a bit. You can move your attention. And my recommendation is to move the attention into just this simplicity of being and a deep acceptance that knows that the conditioning arises, that sometimes anger arises, jealousy arises, hatred arises, fear arises, as does mercy, as does compassion, as does joy. Um, and one can incline the attention in the ways that are uh, much more, you know, beautiful and heartful and connect connected. Um, that's certainly can be an intention. But in terms of self-improvement and in terms of beingness, in terms of the really core beingness, I'd say give that one up. And it's in the giving up. The transformation occurs in the surrender in the relaxation, in this saying yes to yourself. That's where the transformation is. So it's a self-fulfilling solution. Yes, do you mind using It's that? a self-fulfilling solution. Yeah. Stop trying to be better or different or uh, and, and in so doing, you accept yourself and you're much more peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yes, that's where the transformation is. But the thing is, you'll be pretty much as you were in terms of the patterning. It's just that it gets lighter and easier to deal with and you don't operate so much from it. Like if there's negative patterning that you have been operating from in your life, in the relaxation and in the non-fighting with your own dear self, um, you are 
you have a lot more space around the arising of an impulse and the acting out or the speaking of words. There's a space. It still may arise, just as it ever did. And I think that that's one of the things that people get confused about, is that they, they notice that the, the craziness of mind can continue. And they get horrified by it because they think they've been doing all this work and that it should stop, you know, that, that the mind should be more pure or that the thoughts should be more altruistic or, you know, whatever one's idea of improvement might be. But what if that isn't the case? What if the thoughts are similar to the conditioned mind that you're used to but that now they're just like, they're little poofs that go by in an instant, right? And that you really don't pay much attention to. And there you are, just enjoying being. And then there's this background of, you know, stuff that's going on that is no longer the ruler of your activities. I've been thinking a little bit lately and I feel really, really privileged and particularly in the last couple of months to be, um, I know it sounds a bit of a cliche, but um, I seem to have found all these really wonderful women (laughs) around me and um, intelligent, really fun, uh, don't take themselves very seriously, very self-deprecating. Um, really energising and inspiring. And they're not doing anything um, outwardly, um, I suppose, to try and convey that. It's just in in the association, in the conversation, in the giggles. Um, uh, And I'm really, um, I'm delighted to be amongst them, but I'm also really proud of our gender, I suppose. Um, and it's just been, um, it's been really uplifting. And, um, you know, I think I went through a, a, a tricky time with a relationship and uh, I kind of decided to um, to get myself out of the pattern that was difficult there. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know if it was coincidental, pure luck, or whether, um, whether that, um, whether I allowed it, I'm not sure. Um, but it's been, if, it, if that's the case, it's been a wonderful um, coincidence. Oh, that's beautiful. I like yeah. that. That is a privilege, what you've just described. Yeah. That's a great privilege. Yeah. So, um, and, 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 the, and the last one that I, I guess as I have a, a daughter who's now become a young woman mm-hmm. and, uh, and watching her learn and reach out and become stronger and, and also and also falter, um, mm. but you know, but being able to assist her has um, has given great joy as well. Oh, beautiful! That that too is a great luck luck in life, isn't it? I think I was a bit of a, a sod yesterday, no. <laughs> but um, but we all have those moments, and sometimes I think those moments are necessary to to appreciate um, the other way of being. <laughs> yeah. And also, when they arise, they arise, and you, you know, rectify whatever mess they might create, but then move on and, and you know, keep relaxing into being where it's just okay. Yeah. I love that, though. It's, it's... My brother has uh, three grown children who also have children of their own, but he calls his, his children his homegrown best friends. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm enjoying just uh, sitting and allowing it all to yeah. um, flow over, which is part of what I came for, and I'm mindful that um, you know it, it's not a seeking. It's not a seeking thing. It is a curiosity. Um, And so one of the things that I found myself thinking about in listening to you Mm -hmm. um, 
is the irony of being and how there's something about the deep knowing mm. versus the need to know that yes. I don't want to overthink it. Yes. You know, that, yes. that's sort yes. of the irony of it. Yes, um, that's beautiful, yeah. But I think that's how I experience when I do have those moments of being that there's just this deep, deep, deep knowing. knowing. And I and I watch a lot of people trying to figure it out. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, I do too. And, that, and that's the irony of it, I it guess. It is the irony, that I, yes. That slightly humorous. But, it, but, you know, like it's, it's totally humorous. In yeah. fact, it's interesting you use that word because my teacher, Puntaji, used to say, when you recognise this, mm. You'll laugh mm. because mm. it's it's so obvious, yes. Yes. And, y- and you can't believe you've made such a production about it. Mm. You know, especially for <laughs> the ridiculousness. Yeah, and also yeah. The, the the schlep of yeah. seeking <laughs> yes. Know, the, yes. all of the books and going you yes. know, to faraway lands and uh, you know just mm. all of the mm. the earnest struggling and striving and and yet and, that is an important part of the process. I think for some, mm. yeah, yeah. But others can, others can actually call off the search, can mm. actually skip mm. most of the search, you know. Mm. Oh. I think it's very, it's a wonderful thing for those who find that at a young age. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, it's, it's luckier now for younger people because there are mm. so many people who mm. have seen this and have seen mm. through the seeking and, mm. who, and who one has access to, mm. you know. It used it's to be yeah. if there was such a person around who could be an elder or mm. mentor of some sort, <clears throat> you'd, they'd have to be in your village maybe, mm. you know. Um, but now people can be, you know, sitting in a room in Estonia and have these inclinations and be able to find a resonance with someone who actually speaks their language. Um, so their heart language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting about the, the complication of the conceptual mind for something that is actually so direct an experience and is actually a familiar experience. It's just that we keep overlooking, we keep brushing it aside, you know. I, I often do this little practice of my own. I mentioned it the other night in a different context because I use this little practice for lots of different things. But I view things from my imaginary deathbed. And that informs all kinds of things. <laughs> um, like gratitude. I spoke about, about it the other night in the context of being grateful for every little difficult, boring day, you know. (laughs) Looks pretty good from the day of the deathbed. But also at the deathbed, the profound experience of being, especially if you know that that is going to not be the case soon, that recognition of how profound to just be, you know, and how and from that understanding how how silly it is to just constantly be thinking about some other life or some other thing or some other time or some other way of your life working out right from that vantage point you see the absolute futility of yeah spending all you know and you you just want to say Sweetheart, take it easy, you know. <laughs> it's fine. Just hang out. Just cruise. Right. Yeah. There is also something um there is also something about uh we still have to do. Oh. I I I don't think there's not too many people who uh, no. can, you know, exist in this society 
and not do, not be part of the doing. That is certainly the case. The doing can be applied to things that <laughs> one can have some sort of result in, you know. And we do have to feed ourselves and the way that things are arranged in our civilizations that we tend to move about in, um, you know, they don't just hand out free food unless one is extremely lucky and born into some rich family or whatever, marries somebody rich or, or is rich themselves somehow. But, um, yeah, people, we have to work. We have to figure out. I'm sometimes, I sometimes reflect on the fact that, you know, we basically eat three times a day. And some people nosh more than that. Um, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of activity that has to go into that. Acquiring the food or cooking it or let alone getting whatever amount of resources that you need to get to acquire the food. And then on top of that, all the other things of modern life, a car, a place to live, or, or at least money for transport somehow, and all of those things, yes, we have to do a lot in our societies, more than, more than we used to. Um, yeah, it's the what's so. And that's why I highly recommend don't add on to the to-do list. <laughs> this whole other project, the me project. <laughs> you know, getting me enlightened. <laughs> yeah, take that one off the list. And back in the 70s when I first went to India, it was like this transition time, really, because in those, those days when I went, um, sadhus could still ride the trains for free. And it, everywhere they went, people would feed them. Um, so I had a couple of friends who were very dedicated practitioners and who wore robes, who were sadhus, sadhus and, um, and that's how they lived in India for years. They didn't touch money. And they spent a lot of time in quiet ways in monasteries and pra doing practice. And if they did move from one place to another, they rode the trains for free. And people would give them food on the trains. And um, it was a way of life where you could drop out, in a sense, and just be. And let, you let the winds of your own impulses move you around. <clears throat> but that's not the case, even, even there anymore. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so a lot of doing goes on for us. But I find, as I started out with, in the deep immersion in being, it informs the doing. So the, the, the doing flows out of beingness, and so you find ways to do things as elegantly simple as possible with a kind of eye to, a kind of heart's eye view, to creating as much space around things as possible. Another thing that I think is that this kind of shift allows your, your movements to be less. I sometimes use the example, for instance, do you know the game of Go? by chance. It's a board game. Um, it's very ancient. It came out of Mongolia, but it's extremely popular in places like Japan and in Asia, but a lot in Japan. Anyway, it's, it's an incredible, insightful game. But it's very simple in its execution. It's just a grid with white and black stones. You play them one at a time. And you just put a stone 
on a, an intersection on the grid. And then the p- opponent puts a stone on. Well, the idea is to control territory, and there are, there are simple ways that that's understood in the game of Go. You control territory by these stones. So a Go master can put one stone on, a, on an intersection and control what the other player, who's less experienced, takes 15 stones to try to control. One stone. So in, in, everything is very uh, understated in, in this game, so it's called a well-placed stone. <laughs> a well-placed stone. So one of the things that happens, I believe, I experience, I think I experience, uh, in this process of falling more and more in love with just simply being and being averse to complicating my life with any kind of extraneous promotion of myself um, is that I have a lot more well-placed stones. (laughs) And I know, I notice when I start putting too many stones on the board Right. I, I notice this is getting crazy. Right. There must be a simpler way. Um, Does that equate to losing territory when you yes. have too many stones? Well, it equates to losing territory in that when you have created a mess by being overly complicated by being confused, by having your own ego needs be uh, blinding you. Then as soon as that, as soon as the awareness soaks in about that, you let go, right? You either find a way to make amends or fix it or let go. Um, And you can do that and that becomes kind of a well-placed stone of its own. <laughs> you can have that be the end result of some things that were your projects and that are no longer your project. And as I said a while ago, that doesn't necessarily come free. There's loss. Because we're human creatures and because we experience loss and we have sometimes sorrow or regret. So I always encourage us to use regret as an ally to kind of, you know, clear the brambles for the path forward. What, what I've been ruminating on in the last couple of days is when I was here on Tuesday... And one particular person said, don't practice. Okay. And practice, and then you kind of um, agreed with her about the word practice. You know, there are some kind of words that we cringe about because practice, spirituality, they kind of have these, they kind of develop these kind of, um, kind of, beautiful curtains of cliché and stereotype about them. Yeah. And, after, and, and we, we try to use them in the raw sense, but as soon as we use them, the stereotype, the stereotype takes over even though we have had no intention to use the stereotype because it's just, that's language. Yeah. You know, words start, they're overused and then suddenly they become stereotypes. And a beautiful word can suddenly over 10 years become an ugly word. Absolutely. We all cringe about it. So going to the, back to the word practice, I mean, for me, practice is incredibly important. Whatever that word may mean for you or may mean for me or for any of you. Well, that uh, is what I, mm. just to be clear, that is what I said to mm. the woman the other night when she said, uh, don't practice. And, you know, she kind of mm. was um, against that notion. 
Um, I did agree that that word is loaded and loaded in certain ways mm. that indicate that you're doing something for a later date. Mm. That, that's how we usually uh -huh. think of the word yeah. practice. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah so. so if you're thinking of the word practice in a completely different way, and many people mm. do, and, and, and actually I have had to really be careful about using, uh, criticizing that notion or, or word, because I have had this kind of conversation hundreds of times um, with people who are very benefited by, they're not necessarily future tripping in any way with their notion of practice. They're just giving themselves time to really immerse in, in simplicity of beingness. And so no, no problem. Yes. So this whole idea, going off grid, okay, practice for me is going off grid okay so it's 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 putting yourself in a space where you are practicing nothing okay that's a kind of oxymoron or paradox how can you do nothing you know as you know Shakespeare and King Lee says you know nothing comes of nothing okay well yes yeah, so something cannot come of nothing uh, so if I'm going to stay in a space of nothingness where self disappears right, then let's stop here for a second self disappears <laughs> It's, that's not necessary either. No, it's not. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that notion also can be freed. Mm. Um, what, better to say conditioning. Okay. Even okay. conditioning arises. It arises and falls. Arises yeah. and falls. It never yeah. stops. Yeah. And so getting this idea of practice, uh, off-grid, space, pausing, Self arises, it falls away, it arises, it falls away. And yet, you know, kind of the, between the moments of arising and falling away, we kind of want to deepen that space where we can reflect deeper and deeper. And when the seeking, and I think that's where the seeking stops, when we can actually enter into that space between the arising and the falling, the seeking stops. And we just accept. And, but at a grand scale, on a grand scale, I don't know if the seeking actually stops. It may be happening at a deeper level, but maybe not at this conscious level of I'm seeking B from A as a cause and effect or to achieve something. I think that the seeking as it's typically understood, can completely stop. Mm -hmm. Now, because we're humans, there's a certain way in which um, desire or just something that moves through us on a daily basis continues. And, and, and that's again, part of a coexisting awareness, mm -hmm. right? I mean, my teacher, Puntaji, he loved cricket. He would cancel satsang on the major <laughs> cricket days <laughs> because he really loved cricket. Um, and yet, you did not feel in his company the there was really anything, certainly nothing going on in the way of seeking. He was in such a strong presence of being. But because he's a human animal, was, um, he had desires, he had ways that things moved him about in the day. He liked to go for a walk at a certain time. Um, so... I think we have to kind of be very careful, and I know you are, given all the languages you speak, with the precision of this understanding, with the precision of using the language about seeking. Yes, there is something, like when I get up in the morning, there is some way in which I have a, like, I want to be helpful. I just, that's how I'm built. You know, it's, a lot of it is conditioning, really, because I was the oldest in, child in my family, and I had to kind of function a lot as the mother. 
Um, and so it just got very highly conditioned from a young age, um, more as the big sister. And so I play that role a lot in my world. You know, I do a big sister thing. Um, and I can feel that as a certain motivation that I live with. It's, again, there's a deeper stream that's happening that's just hanging around, not doing anything, just being. And that is a more relaxed place. But I can feel the conditioning and the way that I, I, that I um, bow to that conditioning and service that conditioning a lot. Um, so are you getting a sense of making a distinction between a seeking that is about some conceptual or some kind of attainment or, you know, an enhancement of me, that can be off the table, entirely gone. And I know so many people for whom that's the case. Um who used to be really strong seekers. <laughs> but we still manifest in the world in our various ways, and we still... I'm, I've been reading this book called The Violet Hour. It's a nonfiction. The subtitle is Great Writers at the End, meaning at the end of their lives. And it's pretty interesting how different of these legendary characters... Um, how they died and what was going on in their minds when they died, especially in the cases where they've been celebrated the world over for their thoughts and their words. And then when things start leaving them in terms of their ability to speak or to do another book or to finish the book that they were on, and they can't, so the identity is leaving well before they actually exit this world. Very, very interesting. Just to add, add to that, yes. so I was listening to one of your podcasts, um, on the one on Bertrand Russell. Is oh. it the one, Die Before You Die? Or is uh, it no, Bertrand old, Russell is on Growing, growing old. old, yeah. And you read a beautiful excerpt, which I read many, many years ago. Mm, I forgot all about I love that, I know. It's so beautiful. And so it's about, it's about you know, the idea uh, of... No, when we are young, we are like a small river. And, we're, and the water is rushing over the stones. And so we're really kind of having this sensory experience of our confined world. And in that sense, the self is, the self is, is manifesting. Yeah, and very and personally so. Very, very so. Personal. It's very personal and manifesting. Yeah, yeah. As, then, it, as, it, as it needs to. It's a mm, developmental yes, yes. thing. And then getting older and older and older, yeah. and the, it's it, it, it widens and merges into the sea where the self no longer... Mm. Well, the self is more expansive. That's okay. it. I mean, I think and that... What, what I, I was think, trying to say is about okay. seeking. At that early stage, when you're saying the doing is necessary, the seeking is necessary, I think, at that particular stage in life, and then when you get to a particular stage, whether it be if you're older, for some people it, you, they might not really need that uh, need that stage development. But I think most of us we get to this, uh, we start to grow older, and then suddenly we, if we've been practicing, if we've been seeking, then suddenly perhaps we can over a period of time we can start to feel ourselves merge into that open sea and become more expansive, and the seeking kind of mellows down. And another way that I understand... Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I do. I like what you're saying. It's very, it's very clear in terms of the, um, uh, the actual words that he did say. And, and um, a way that I understand what he's saying, though, and it's something that I've talked about in my own language in the past, is that your sense of self widens. That the way... The, when the identification is very strong when you're young, it is quite personal, right? It's very personal. But with more time or wisdom or whatever, you begin to feel that the continuation goes on whether or not you're in it, and you start to feel yourself as part of the whole that is, that is, you know, that is blazing here 
in this mysterious existence in which we find ourselves. So it's almost like, in terms of his view of the widening of the, of the river into the ocean, I'm saying the same thing in, in, in a different way, yes. that, you're, that you're becoming, at first you're becoming the you, you're about, it's all about the presentation of me, and that's an important psychological developmental stage. You have to, as, as many psychologists have said, you have to have a strong ego to transcend it. Um, the transcending of the personal happens in a beautiful way in, these, in this view into um, an identification with the all. The word is just delight, which I think you used. And um, I really don't want to say anything mm -hmm. because I've been so delighted in listening to the conversations. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It's such a privilege, so thank you. Yeah. Um, but I don't refuse to speak because uh, I would like to add voice to this coexistence of our awareness here, which these conversations are bringing up. And you mentioned language. And how beautiful is language? How beautiful is articulation? I've just been like watching, almost watching a scene unfold here. Um, um, and uh, these conversations that are happening and uh, the thinking and the reasoning and the, um, all are just part of this moment. It's, um, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm in a stage of transition. Yeah. Uh, quite a big tra life transition at the moment. I'm transitioning, uh, about to transition countries, I'm transitioning different relationships, and it's all happening at the moment. And so thinking... Do you mind if I tell them where you're going to? Is that okay? Okay. All right. We, we will. <laughs> later. Later. Okay. <laughs> <I'm deleted. laughs> um, no, go ahead, Catherine, that's okay. <laughs> no, it's, so, it's just so wonderful. Um, so Pari is going back to her homeland of Nagaland after living here in Melbourne for 30... 20 many? plus, yeah. 20 plus years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's a stage transition, you know, but it's, it's starting to happen now. So it's a big shift for me. So I was also thinking about this thing that you were saying about practice, and the importance of practice, but practice um, can be balanced with, uh, I think I'm understanding you saying that the, the, it's, it's, there's a need for a certain practice and I call it wrestling because in the <laughs> ebb and flow, even while we're coexisting in our realities, you know, you still have to grapple with certain situations that come up for you. Mm. Um, but also there's a wonderfully, uh, what do you call it, just uh, gift-wrapped with insight. Mm -hmm. And uh, we might not even have to practice because suddenly insight comes yes, in a flash. Does. It does, yeah. And suddenly you know something that you never knew before. Just like that. Yes. What a gift. Yes. Anyway, I'm rambling on, so I just no, want to say it's been such a delight, oh. really. And I'm so glad that everyone braved the weather and we're all here. Beautiful. Thank you. I'm just sitting here and um, just enjoying... I mean, I always enjoy being in this space and I have done for over 30 years now, being in groups and sort of in this deepening of being. And um, it's just always a place I feel at home. But I was just thinking that 
more and more I feel at home anyway, wherever I am. Yes. Yeah, so that's a really beautiful um, awareness I just yes. had. Yeah. Beautiful. I know that's true about yeah. you, actually. Mm. Yeah, I know. I, I observe that a lot. Mm. <laughs> <gasps> and I, I was just feeling the gratitude for the journey <laughs> that that's been and yeah. that still is. Yeah. 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 Nice. It's been amazing. And it's an such amazing a good point journey. you make that it really, the whole, the, the understanding, of course, ends up that anywhere you are, mm. on a crowded train, on a turbulent flight, right, mm. on by the bedside of someone you love who's not well, mm. um, doing your taxes. Every it's just it's just the, the this coexisting awareness. Yeah, it shifts. It shifts from we go along as we're talking about. We're marching along in life, becoming somebody, being somebody, mm. with all that goes with that, and the. The mind, the ram of the mind is taken up a lot with that, mm. right? But it starts to shift, it shape shifts. Mm. And pretty soon you're much more in being. Mm. And the, the other part is getting taken care of, the coexisting part, it's getting taken care of. Just like if you're listening to the radio, you're mostly driving. You better be. <laughs> you better be mostly driving, yeah. but you're able to sing to the song. Um, so in this case, you're mostly in this wah of being. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. taking care of business. You're manifesting enough to get yourself fed and do all those things and um, show up for your friends and yeah. be helpful and all those things. But mm-hmm. it, it's... I mentioned the other day, and uh, it's on, it'll be on a podcast, but... Um, Thich Nhat Hanh has a new book out called At Home in the World. Mm. And yeah. being at home in your own being, in your own skin. Yeah. That's where to be, at yeah. home. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session or make either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation to help with the production costs. Assuming you like these podcasts, we would also appreciate a review wherever you're getting yours. Till next time.